evening. As we continue in worship, we invite you to simply listen and reflect on the word of God as, as it is read to you. So hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. The Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in the rebellion. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. But the Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. 
and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. So finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's fascinating to me to watch what is becoming popular in our country again when it comes to books and film. I think it's amazing that the Lord of the Rings uh, just did so good, not only at the box office, but there's been a heightened interest in other books by Tolkien, and The Hobbit is coming out soon, and I know some of you are very excited about that. But stories like The Lord of the Rings, and then The Chronicles of Narnia, movies alike Braveheart and Brave, old span, one of the things they have in common is that they talk about kings and queens, kingdoms. They talk about rulers and sovereigns and things like that. And we live in, in the United States, and so we're not used to that. And even when we think about England and we think about kings and queens, we know that they're just really figureheads. They're not like the kings and queens of the day that Jesus lived. And so there's this disconnect when we go to read this passage today, because most of us go, well, I don't think this has anything to do with me, so I have no idea what Jeff's going to do with this passage. I hope it's uh, halfway interesting. And I, I struggle with that, too. And when I first looked at this text, I thought, like, what am I, what am I supposed to understand? My prayer is that by the end of our studying this today, as you walk out this door, is that you will find that this passage has everything to do with your life. That this actually is something that had to do with Pilate's life, and he didn't know it, and it has to do with our lives, and we may not know it. So I want to just uh, invite you to open your Bibles and open to the passage that Jessica just read. We're going to make our way through it. If you haven't been with us all year long, except for a couple months in the summer when we studied Psalms, we've been studying the Gospel of John, all 21 chapters. That's our aim. That's our goal. And we're going to go all the way to Christmas. 
And so we're here in chapter 18 and 19 today. We're studying this series. We're calling it Encountering Christ because the way we're studying John's gospel is that we're trying to look at different encounters that people had with Jesus Christ and see what we can learn from them. See if we can also encounter Christ ourselves 2,000 years later. Because the Bible says that he didn't just die on a cross, he rose again. He's alive. And if he's alive, that means that you can encounter him. So as we look at this passage today, what I hope you'll see is you turn to chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 28 and go all the way to chapter 19, verse 16. I know it's a little bit extended, but Jessica, I really appreciate you reading it. And here's what I want you to see as we open up this passage. Is that Jesus is brought to Pontius Pilate. He's brought to Pontius Pilate the Roman governor. We jumped over his arrest. We jumped over the beginning trials that he had with the Jewish leaders. And so now we come to him being brought, not to Jewish people, but to the Roman leader who happened to be in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. That's not normally where he lived, but the Roman leaders always showed up in Jerusalem around the big feast because they knew that if there was going to be an uprising, there was going to be a lot more people there and they wanted to make sure that they could take care of things. So, he's now there. They bring him to Pontius Pilate. You know, every once in a while, I wonder to myself, I know that nowadays it's really popular to just say kind of sweeping things like, well, that's really a nice story. And by story, when people say that, they don't mean what I mean by story. That's something that actually happened. They, they mean it's kind of a myth or a fable or that kind of thing. It's really popular among some of the more dogmatic atheists to say nowadays that this book is just a book of myths. Friends, i just give you a couple thoughts for that if that's where you're at, because this has been helpful to me. Did you know that in 1961, archaeologists discovered an artifact called the Pilate Stone, on which they found the name of Pilate as a prefect under Tiberius. And it showed that what this was talking about actually happened. They were able to say, that's the exact same time, that kind of stuff. And there are things like that still being discovered. So all I want to tell you is, this really happened. This guy, Pilate, was real. He actually was one of the Roman leaders. You can study Roman history. And he actually did that. And in fact, we know for sure he served from 26 AD to 36 AD. So by the time he's standing before Jesus, he's been doing this probably five or six years at least. And he'll go a few more after this. But his two things that Pilate wanted to do under Rome, uh, the power he had, is he wanted to make sure there were no uprisings. He wanted to keep the peace among the Jewish people who were known as a rowdy group. He also, every chance he got, wanted to snub them because he looked down on them as bugs. He couldn't stand them, and they couldn't stand him. And in his history, he had done two or three things to absolutely gall them. He had killed some of their people. He had taken some of their money out of the temple treasury to build aqueducts for water. He had done all these kinds of things, including letting his soldiers bring the image of Caesar into their religious places. They hated him. This is a shock that they are now so desperate to get rid of Jesus, they bring him to this Roman leader. Another thing I just want to tell you, though, that's kind of interesting history. Do you know that that the Bible is better... Is, is, is better preserved than any other manuscript we have in history. It is one of the most well-preserved documents, period. You can put it next to Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, which is one of the more ancient writings that sometimes you have to study in school. We have more manuscripts, parchments, pieces of manuscript, fragments than any other thing. Where we're able to put it all together and see that this Bible is absolutely trustworthy in what it says. 
But did you know, just no extra charge here, this passage right here is one of the earliest fragments they ever discovered. These verses between 18 and 19, they, they found this fragment. And it helped them see with the other uh, manuscripts how true and accurate it was in all the different uh, writing and, and, and recopying that had been done. Just amazing things. So as I read it, I just have great appreciation. But now back to my subject. Here's what I hope you'll see as we study these verses today, is that the big theme in these verses is one question. Is Jesus king? Is Jesus king? And as I said earlier, some of us might go, doesn't make any difference. I live in America. But the truth is, is Jesus king? That's what Pilate wanted to know, and that's what different people were asking. And here's how I know this about this passage, that this is the major theme. John barely ever talks about Jesus being king except in this section. He wants us not to miss this. So that now, in these verses, if you study this all the way into 19, over 10 times you will find the word king or kingdom. And Pilate is the one that's often asking the question. So as we look for that, that'll give you like the where's Waldo thing to look for, okay? King. Look for that word king and kingdom. Now, when I think of a king and kingdom, I realize that part of the challenge is that whoever's king is in charge. At least the way king is understood in ancient times, it means that's the person that gets to have all the control. Years ago, when our family uh, was younger, my grandparents, who were alive then, used to take us every Christmas Eve to a candlelight dinner theater in Chicago, and we would go and watch a musical and have dinner. It was one of the best memories we have as a family. And so uh, we looked forward to it, but we also went to other musicals and plays besides Candlelight Dinner Theater, and next door there was another playhouse that had a musical on one time called uh, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Now, I find it odd that I'm now talking about the Peanuts characters the week after Pastor Steve did last week, if you were here. I don't ever recall a Sunday when pastors collected from peanuts two weeks in a row. But I want to tell you a story within the story. Last night, when I was looking for what I want to share with you, you know, Steve told you how he couldn't find the cartoon. The reason why is because it wasn't a cartoon. It was part of the musical. And it was right next to what I want to share with you. And you'll see how it ties in. So I just feel so delighted by this extra piece of thing. Okay? But one of, the, one of the scenes we loved, and you're a good man, Charlie Brown, that I think you're going to be able to see the connection later, even though it's humorous, is this. Lucy and Linus are talking together, and you know a little bit about how Lucy is this proud person, always pushing her weight around, and Linus is this intellectual person that's always under the thumb of Lucy. All right? So here they are. Lucy walks in and says, Linus, do you know what I intend? I intend to be a queen. Musical fanfare. When I grow up, I'm going to be the biggest queen there ever was. And I'll live in a big palace with a big front lawn and have lots of beautiful dresses to wear. And when I go out in my coach, all the people, Linus interrupts, Lucy. Lucy continues, all the people will wave and I will shout to them and Linus interrupts again. Lucy, I believe a queen is an inherited title. Yes, I'm quite sure such a person can only be queen by being born into a royal family of the correct lineage so that she can assume the throne after the death of the reigning monarch. I can't think of any possible way you could ever become queen. I'm sorry, Lucy, but it's true. Lucy, and in the summertime, I will go out to my summer palace, and I will wear my crown in swimming and everything. And all the people will cheer, and I will shout to them, 
What do you mean I can't be a queen? <laughs> Aquinas says, it's true. Lucy said, there must be a loophole. This kind of thing always has a loophole. Nobody should be kept from being a queen if she wants to be one. It's undemocratic. <laughs> Good grief, Linus says. It's usually just a matter of knowing the right people. I bet a few, places of, a few pieces of well-placed correspondence, and I get to be queen in no time. I think I'll watch television, Linus says. And he goes into their room and begins to watch television. I know what I'll do. If I can't be queen, then I'll be very rich. I'll work and work until I'm very rich, and then I'll buy myself a queendom. Good grief, Linus says. Yes, I'll buy myself a queendom, and I'll kick out the old queen and take over the whole operation myself. I will be head queen. Now, switch channels. Linus says, are you kidding? I'm not one of your royal subjects. What makes you think you can just take over? Now comes the connection. You see these five fingers? Individually, they are nothing. But when I curl them together into a single unit, they become a fighting force terrible to behold. Yes, your majesty. Why can't you guys get organized like that? I will kick out the old queen and become the new one. Well, that's the tug of war, isn't it? Who's going to be king? Are you king, Jesus? Let's pray. Now, Lord, help us see in this passage what you want us to see. Help us encounter you, Lord. Please, I can't make that happen. I pray that as we open your word, you would be our teacher. And more than that, in your name we pray. Amen. All right, if you're there at chapter 18, let's get going here. It says, then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest, the Jewish leader, to the palace of the Roman governor. I want to always be careful when I say this. In the past, sometimes in Christian circles, people have made sweeping statements about the Jews. Very carefully, John means when he says the Jews here, he doesn't mean every Jewish person. He means the Jewish leaders who are antagonistic to Jesus. So I just want to make sure, because some people have used this as a form of anti-Semitism, and Jesus had no interest in that. By now, it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Now notice this. They're breaking all kinds of rules, but they're keeping that one. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If you were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Let me explain this. First of all, I think the reason why the Jewish leaders are so galled is because if we understand Jesus' arrest from all four of the Gospels put together, not only did the temple priests come to arrest Jesus, the temple guards, excuse me, but also Roman soldiers were also supplied. So Pilate was probably aware that some of this arrest was going to be taking place. Now they bring him, and they're just expecting Pilate to go, okay, let's have him executed. I have the power to do that. Let's just have... But they don't do that. He, he says, like, what charges you bring? What's the problem here? Comes out. They go, we wouldn't have like, gone to all this trouble if we didn't have a charge. Trust us. Just take care of this. Let's go. But he doesn't. He snubs them. This is that chance he gets to make them feel small and powerless. And they say, look, we don't have the power to execute anyone under Roman law, but you're our leaders. We can't do that. Now, later, they would be able to take a lesser-known person like Stephen in the book of Acts and stone him. That's the way they executed people was by stoning. But the Romans executed by crucifixion, a much worse death. 
We're going to talk about that next week. And so the Bible says that the reason why Jesus was led to the Romans is so that the scripture could be fulfilled, that he would be lifted up on a cross as he predicted. And what we notice here, if you're following along, is that you're going to notice throughout this passage, I did this this week just to follow. This is like all kinds of scenes and plays. Pilate comes out, he goes back in. He comes out, he goes back in. He comes out, he goes back in. There's this back and forthness of this. So once Pilate hears all this, okay, about him, uh, he decides to take Jesus inside. And if you're following along in the notes, here's what I hope you'll see. Pilate questions Jesus. He says, are you the king of the Jews? That's what Pilate questions Jesus. Notice that. We'll pick it up in verse 33. Pilate then went back inside of the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, I love this next thing. If you know anything about Jesus, when you ask him a question, is he going to answer you? Maybe. Most of the time, he'll ask you a question if you study the Gospels. So I love this next question. He goes, is that your idea? You know, is that, is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Hmm, just curious. Are you really interested? Did you come up with that? Or are you just going by what everybody's saying? Do you, do you really want to know? Is that your own idea? I just want to ask you, what's your own idea of Jesus? We've been studying the Gospels. Who is Jesus to you? Do you think he's a king? Is that your own idea? Interesting. And so then he says, uh, am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priest who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Now I want you to read verse 36. I've listed it there in the gray box so we can read it together. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. But now my kingdom is from another place. And he goes on in verse 37. You are king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered. And that, will you read that with me, verse 37 in the second gray box? Jesus answered, you are right in saying that I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world. He goes on. It says, to testify to the truth, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus, if you're following along, admits he's a king, and he speaks of a kingdom. Notice, he doesn't say, I'm a king. He said, you're right in saying I'm a king. In other words, you said it, I didn't say it. I'm just picking up on what you're saying. So you just said it. You are a king then. You said it. Interesting. Jesus is trying to figure out, how much do you own this? Or are you just parroting a party line? What are you doing? You're right in saying I'm a king. And my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my, all my guys that ran away, they'd be trying to fight and get me back still. But it's not. It's a different kind of kingdom. Do you remember that when Jesus was born, this whole subject was hot, even outside of Israel then? Some of you know this passage because every year you read from this, but look at Matthew 2. Look at what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, not, not Jewish people now, uh, uh, pagan people from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born? Read that phrase with me, friends. King of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod 
heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. I bet people couldn't read that without smiling a little bit. King Herod's bothered. I bet he is. Why? Because there can only be one king. And he knew, oh, I got some trouble in my kingdom. There's another king. Whew. Mary was told that Jesus would have a kingdom that would never end. Interesting prophecies. Jesus is just picking up on that and letting Pilate in on that information. If you're following along, what I want you to see next is that Pilate scoffs and says, what is truth? And declares Jesus innocent. Pilate scoffs, saying, what is truth? And declares Jesus innocent. Let me keep reading. What is truth? Pilate asked. You know, he's, so, he's so jaded. He's so cynical because of the power and the political process. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. And friends, he will repeat this exact same thing in verse 4 and also in verse, um, uh, I think it's verse 6. He'll say that same thing three times. Innocent, innocent, innocent. I find no basis. This guy is not a rebellion against Rome. He is not what you say he is. I don't necessarily think he's a king, but he's not a rebel. And it goes on and and says, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. You want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. And the other gospel writers tell a lot more about that part. John doesn't feel like that's as important in his gospel. He wants to share some other things. And so he does under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If you're following along, the next thing I hope you'll see is that Pilate has Jesus flogged. F-L-O-G-G-E-D, and his soldiers mock Jesus as, get this, king. Let me read these verses. He has him flogged, and they mock him as king. Then, G then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, king of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. I find this difficult to talk to you about what I'm going to describe next. Flogging is not whipping. That would have been kind by comparison. If you've watched The Passion of the Christ, then you've seen flogging. Flogging, the Romans had devised all kinds of torture and cruelty. They wanted to hurt people and make them pay. And so now Pilate sees a way to maybe get sympathy from these religious leaders and lay off of Jesus. <clears throat> so he decides to have him flogged. Thanks a lot, Pilate. Jesus is stretched out. His clothes are taken off. Sometimes they were wrapped around this way to expose the ribs and all of the tender parts of the body more. And these guys would take a leather whip, which had been inserted with bone, lead, and sometimes sharp objects. And they had become masterful at swinging it in such a way that when it caught the skin, different than a regular whip, it hooked. And when they would pull back, they would rip skin off. Most people that witnessed Roman flogging said that after they had done this long enough, you could begin to see the inside of a person's inner workings. Now imagine the cruelty of this scene. Imagine these soldiers. They basically realized they have free reign over this guy. They can do whatever they want to him. And some of you have seen situations like that. It is one of the most horrific things to ever witness. Can you imagine? And he pulls it back and 
That was a good one. You got a lot of skin that time. Wow. Way to go. And they're absolutely delighted by evil. And then, I wish they'd just stop there. Sometimes people actually died during flogging, by the way. Jesus is going through this on our behalf. Then, they weren't done with that. They decided, oh, so, king of the Jews, huh? Where did they get that? From Pilate, maybe the Jewish leaders? That was the word going around Jesus. They decided to really make him pay. They put this crown of thorns down him, and then they do this mocking kind of, hey, oh, king of the Jews. But the Bible says is that when they went to do that, they would hit him in the face as hard as they could. Oh, my goodness, friends. Jesus, he must love us. And this is going on. If we continue, let me read verse 4 and following. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I'm bringing him out to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. You know, he's harmless. I mean, what can he possibly do now? This king can't hurt you. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. Latin, ecce homo. Here's the man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify, literally, to the cross, to the cross. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Notice he's keeping him under his thumb again. This chess game is going back and forth. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked. But Jesus gave him no answer. Now, let me just, if you're following along, what I hope you'll see here is that Pilate says in verse 4, verse 5, here is the man, he presents him. Later in verse 14, he's going to say, here is your king, when he brings him out one more time. Here is the man, here is your king. And he says these things about Jesus. And again, he's, 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 not, he's not convinced that Jesus is anybody. But notice it says that when he hears the next thing that the Jewish leaders put in the chess move, hey, he claimed to be the son of God, this makes him afraid, even more afraid, the Bible says. Well, what gives? If you put all the gospels together, let me just give you the line first and then I'll explain it. Afraid, Pilate questions Jesus and tries to free him. Afraid, Pilate questions Jesus and tries to free him. There's more to this story, like I said, if you put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you look way up at the top of the notes, I put Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23. You can read these if you want on your own. I did that several times this last week. It's fascinating. But for now, let me just tell you what happened in Matthew's gospel. It fills in some more details. Look at verse 19 here on the screen. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Who is this Jesus? What's going on? Even Pilate's wife knows there's something different about this man. Steer clear of him. Don't get yourself wrapped up in that. Don't get your hands dirty with this. Come on. Steer clear. Not only that, but look at verse 24 and 25. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, remember what his job was? Keep the peace. But rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. 
And all the people answered. Read this phrase with me, friends. It's absolutely interesting. His blood be on us and on our children. So Pilate is afraid. Now, why is he afraid? There's a couple reasons he might be afraid. He may be fearing that by this comment of Jesus being the Son of God and claiming that the Jewish leaders are now winning in the chess game, and he's starting to feel like his power is slipping away, and they may be able to do what his wife told them not to do. Or most Greek mythology and Roman mythology believed in gods came as human beings to earth. Now all of a sudden, he's wondering if all those stories he's heard and read, he might just be standing in front of a god. We don't know. But something's going on. And I'll continue. He says, where do you come from? And then when he asked Jesus, Jesus gave him no answer. Verse 10, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you, that's Caiaphas, the high priest, is guilty of a greater sin. It's not saying that Pilate's not guilty. He's saying Caiaphas is guilty of the greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Who was Caesar? The emperor of Rome, his boss. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Wow. They put their trump card down now. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your, here it is again, king, Pilate said to, Jews, said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar. This shows just how far they'd gotten away from God. The Jewish people who were meant to be gods and gods alone now say, we have no king but Caesar. And then that last line, if you want to fill this in, to satisfy the crowd, Pilate hands Jesus over. To satisfy the crowd, Pilate hands Jesus over. Look at Mark 15 as the gospel fills it in more. Wanting to, what's the phrase, friends? Satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And friends, it goes on from here and and that actually gives us the secret of why Pilate became such a coward. Why Pilate could let the king go. Why he could push him away and let someone else deal with him. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we all live in a tug of war. Sometimes we feel like we're the rope in between two forces pulling. And sometimes because we feel the pull of this world, we feel the pull of all the world can give us. We may try, we may want to follow God, we may want to follow Jesus Christ, but we can't because we won't let go of this. The Bible says is the fear of man is a snare. Look at this on the screen, it's interesting. Proverbs 29, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. You know, it's a trap. So years ago, I read how in the cartoons, you know how they have the bull with the ring in the nose? And this author said, I always try to figure out, why is that ring always in the bull's nose? Because even in the wild, they found that they were so hard to control that they had to do something. So they put this ring in the bull's nose. And once they do that, it hurts so much that when they pull on it, they can take them wherever they want to take them. 
Friends, when you and I try and live for this world, it's a ring in our nose. That we, people will be able to control us. They'll say, oh, you're going to lose your job. Oh, you're going to lose your position. Oh, what are you going to do without this popularity? What are you going to do without those friends? And you just, you, know, you try, try to do something with Jesus, but you can't. Pull. When I was in philosophy class, my philosophy professor shared something I've never forgotten. Do you see this handy little thing right here? Can some of you tell what it is? Those in the back might not be able to tell. This is a toilet roll, uh, what do you call this? Just the end of a toilet paper roll, just the cardboard part, okay? I, don't, I can't think of a fancy name. If I was more sophisticated, I would have used a paper towel uh, one. <laughs> but you're going to spend a lot of time in this in the next few weeks, so you'll probably remind you. But <laughs> What happened is, is that he took this and he said, there's two views of the world, the way people look at the world. There's a closed system and an open system. People who believe this world is all there is live in a closed system. He put his hands on both ends to make it just a closed system. Everything that's real is inside this. There's no room for miracles. There's no room for the supernatural. There's no room for anything outside this. He said, but Francis Schaeffer and other Christian thinkers have suggested that Jesus and others teach a different way of thinking, and that is an open system where God is not part of his creation in the sense that he's different, he's separate, but he's able to relate and interact with his creation. And therefore, though he's not from this world or of this world, like you and I are in our birth, he's different. And he can interact. And what Jesus is saying about his kingdom and his reign is that it's from a different place. And it can affect this world. It's not that God doesn't care about this world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He loves the world. But he can affect the world. And so what do you believe about Jesus? I want to just focus in these last few minutes on this phrase. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Friends, last week Steve talked about it. A few weeks ago I talked about it in John 15. So John 15, John 17, and now in John 18, he does it again. Jesus uses this phrase, if you're following along, he repeats, in but not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. I, I'm in this world right now. I'm physically here, but I'm not, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. What does that mean? It means that there's a different origin. The, the, the authority, the power comes from outside the toilet roll. There's something else going on, and you've got to have a bigger world than that. Because if you are going to be gripped just by what this world can give you, what you can do with your five senses and not trust anything else except what your little human mind can understand, you're going to be stuck in this world, and you're going to have like a ring pulled in your nose all the time. You're going to feel the tug of war. And so... What is a kingdom? I put the definition there. Where what the king wants done gets done. Where what the king wants done gets done. When, and when I was in New Testament classes years ago, I remember some of my professors, whenever they would come to the kingdom of God, they wouldn't read it kingdom. They would read the reign of God. Because a kingdom is not just localized to one place in Jesus' terms. A kingdom is wherever the king is getting his way even in a foreign country or a different place. Here's what this means. 
This means that if Jesus is king and he has a kingdom, that his kingdom can extend throughout the world. It can take place in pockets like the Philippines. It can take place in places like Europe. It can take places in other places. God might even be doing bigger things than he's doing in the United States. His kingdom is wherever a person is letting the king get his way. And notice, if you're following along in the notes, that Pilate calls Jesus king, but he doesn't let him reign. Now, I want to take the last few minutes to do my very best to try and talk to you about this. Jesus came to earth, and we saw this a few years ago when we did the Sermon on the Mount. The very first words out of his mouth were, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he began to announce, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And when Jesus landed on planet earth, friends, he came to take over. Now the question is, is he the king or not? The Bible says is that his kingdom is already started. It's already happening among people. And I don't know what you have given your life to. I don't know what vision captures you. But I'll tell you the vision that's captured me and how I want it to capture me more, please, Lord, is that Jesus came to bring a kingdom. And as the Messiah sings with Handel's Messiah, and the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. But some of us go, no, no, no. I don't want to miss what this world has for me. I'm going to get that job. I'm going to get that possession. I'm going to get that opportunity. I'm going to get that promotion. And we are willing to sell our souls like Pilate for that. And we try to follow Jesus, but we can't because we are being tugged back by a greater vision of something that's actually lesser. So Jesus comes and he says, look, if you will accept my reign and me as king, you'll see that I'm a humble king. I'm not like one who exercises worldly power. I come humbly. I pray not my will, but yours be done to the Father, and I can teach you to pray the same thing. And someone might say, what would it look like if I let Jesus be king? I'll tell you four things that happen. First, we worship differently. We pray differently. We serve differently and we obey differently. We worship and pray. We serve and obey. That's what happens in a kingdom, you see, when the king gets his way. And some of us go, oh, man, that sounds a lot like dying. I know it sounds a lot like dying if you still think the world has the best for you. But if you start to realize, like many of us have, that this world, as good as it can be, and it can offer some fun stuff for a while, it cannot, it cannot match the kingdom vision that Jesus offered. And Pilate missed because he would not let go. We can worship and pray. We can serve and obey. And here at Cherry Hills, what we're trying to understand, oh, so imperfectly, starting with your pastors, is Jesus is king. And he came to be king of me and you and anyone who will bow their knee and begin to worship and pray and serve and obey in his grace. So here's the closing question. Who is Jesus to me? Is he king? Truly king of me? Is he? I got to just tell you this week, this pierced me. 
I saw a couple areas in my life, friends, still this many years after walking with Jesus, I acted like Lucy. I will be king. And I saw myself and I just disobeyed Jesus. I disobeyed Jesus. It's ugly. You know, I just want to give you one more verse as I preach to you today. Look at 2 Timothy 4. Here's what happens when a vision captures pastor and people. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and, what's the phrase, friends? His kingdom. In light of his kingdom coming. What are you giving yourself to, Timothy? He says this, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage when it's popular and when it's not. With great patience and careful instruction. It goes on, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. I don't want to hear about Jesus ruling my life. I want a gospel that tells me I can live my fleshly life and still be a follower of Jesus. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Jesus is king. He has come to reign and rule, and he wants to know if you will let him or if you're going to send him away like Pilate. We want to sing. I talked about worshiping and praying, serving and obeying. We thought the rest of the service, let's just think about where we are with Jesus and let's give him the worship he's due. You know, Pilate was in the presence of a king and he didn't know it he didn't see his glory he didn't see it years ago Steve and I traveled to New Jersey and to stay and we visited Brooklyn New York we wanted to go on a Tuesday night where Brooklyn Tabernacle has their prayer service we had read some of Jim Cimbala's story and heard Brooklyn Tabernacle choir so we got there on Tuesday night and we got into the worship center there was all kinds of people there that had gotten there two hours early just to cry out to God. And I remember the service started by Jim Cimbala, the pastor, singing a song. I've sung it to you back eight or ten years ago, but I thought it would be good to sing it today because we are in the presence of a king, whether we realize it or not, friends, every day. And so here's what we heard. 